Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to the Career Catharsis Show. I'm your host, Neha Karam. Today, I will be chatting with serial entrepreneur, CTO, Chief Operating Officer, and co-founder, Mike Sadel, talking about reimagining recruiting and some of the work him and his team have accomplished with recruiting technology platforms, WorkHere and Pivot CX. Hi, Mike. It's so great to have you on the Career Catharsis show. Thanks, Neha. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. So I'd love for our listeners to get a better understanding of your background. So I understand that you've been in the technology space, the recruiting space, and if you could expand on how how you got there. Oh, wow. I've I've been in the technology space, um, I don't know, since the the mid 80s. So I've been doing this for a long time, at least as far as tech goes. I got into the recruiting space. would have been right around 2009 and I had an opportunity. Um, I just got done um, selling an ad agency to the employees of, of the ad agency and had a chance to go to work for a few years with the founders of monster.com who had uh, started a not-for-profit here in Indianapolis called Direct Employers. And so I, I got my start in uh, recruiting technology really by working with um, the people that invented the category. And when I left that company, I started uh, the company that I'm with now. Uh, I brought actually the their CTO with me to start this. So um, the original team at, at work here um, was uh, myself and uh, the very first programmer who actually wrote the very first web-based job board. Wow. Can you expand a little bit more on your vision when you were building work here and how that vision has evolved over time? Yeah, so when we started work here, we, we uh, this was 2015 or so, we, we were in the middle of the mobile app revolution and uh, everything was going mobile. And we thought there was a real need for an app that helped people connect to jobs based on location. Um, hence the name work here. <laughs> and what ended up happening um, is we built an app that was a lot like Yelp for jobs. And it worked pretty well for a couple of years. We grew pretty quickly with that. But it was really obvious to us by by 2018 or so that that was not going to end up being the future for us. And we got into doing um, chat because what was going on, we were seeing a lot of employers connecting with candidates, but there was no dialogue, no communication going on there. And so we would go find hundreds of candidates for a company and they would talk to two of them. And we thought that was horrible. What can we do about it? So we started doing the talking with candidates via via chat and that worked really, really well. So you flash forward to 2020, COVID hits and um, the old app, the, the Yelp for Jobs app, um, we lost almost all of the customers for that product except for one um, in a one month period when COVID hit. And so we looked at that and go, you know what? We have these customers that we're doing chats, this chat service for, let's take the next year and take this whole COVID time. Let's retool the company, build it around chat and relaunch this thing with a totally different product. Um, the product we named it Pivot CX for change your candidate experience. Um, also because it was kind of a play on the fact we just did a big pivot as a business. And um, 
we relaunched our software at the end of December of 2020. And by uh, April of this year, we had already passed up 2020 and 2019's revenue combined. Mm -hmm. So pretty, pretty big change for us. Um, and what, what I think is funny about it is if you look at it from, um, you know, what we're really doing, mm -hmm. what we ended up doing is finding something that was a lot more valuable than just you know, helping companies find talent by location or helping people find a job by where they live. And we moved over to, hey, how do we make it so every candidate can talk to a live person every time they apply for a job? How can we get rid of this whole black hole that most candidates who apply for a job find themselves in? And how do we make it so the recruiters can actually move fast enough they can hire the, ta the best talent that applies instead of whoever's left three weeks later? Love that. Love that. You know, I'd love to understand a little bit more about the product itself. So for any recruiters that might be listening, um, can you share a little bit more about how the product works? Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, we, we make it so whenever someone applies for a job, be it on your career website, through your applicant tracking system, or even if they just apply on Indeed or LinkedIn or something like that, we hook our chat platform up to all of your different sources of candidates. And then whenever somebody applies, mm -hmm. um, that triggers a, a conversation with that candidate. We do the conversations using SMS. And the reason we do, um, at least in the markets we work in the most, which are North, is North America, um, SMS is really the best way to reach somebody. Um, if you mm -hmm. compare it to email, uh, the average SMS message is uh, read 93% of the time within three minutes. So if I send you a text, you're going to get it, you're going to read it. If I send you an email, we're lucky to get a 20% open rate in a seven days period of time. So, um, you know, if you want to actually be able to communicate with a candidate, texting is a good thing. So we uh, make it so that you can have that conversation and we have all the tools for automating that conversation um, without losing the ability for the humans to talk to the humans. So um, we have customers where the workflow is somebody applies for a job on, on Indeed, they have a quick conversation, get their questions answered, and then, um, you know, let's say they, they're applying for uh, handling hazmat. They might have to get a Twix card into us. Okay. If that's the case, we let them text it in uh, so they can just hit share on their phone and send in, a, send in a picture of whatever it is that they need for credentials. And we can take what used to take three, four weeks between applying on Indeed, waiting for the recruiters to screen everybody and the hiring manager to screen everybody and then them finally decide to call you back, we can take that down to where it just takes uh, a few minutes. And then when the recruiters actually do start spending time with the candidate, we know they're A, qualified, B, um, interested in the job, and, and C, more importantly, we've moved fast enough that they haven't taken the job somewhere else already. Right. I think with recruiting, speed is everything. And especially in the technology space, I know that there is a bit of a talent war. And I think over the pandemic, we've seen so many new new companies um, emerge, but also all the companies that were doing really well had to pivot, a lot of them, right? So with that, there's just been such a big shift. I think we're going through one of the highest labor shortages for high-skilled um, labor in, in a while. So, so that's yeah. something that I think would be worth maybe even talking about. I mean, based off of your experience, um, what, what advice would you have for any listeners that may be concerned about the outlook for hiring in 2021? I would say uh, get ready for it to get worse. Um, what, what's going on right now, if you go back to 20, uh, 
2019 and, and we had just finished up the year right before COVID hit and unemployment was at a record low already. We were already at the point where, where the labor market had lots of gaps in it and um, we're up against another big demographic shift, which is by 2035, the U.S. growth rate, like the, the birth rate and the rate that we get new people um, is going to go uh, negative. Um, we're going to start shrinking. And so we're in a period of time right now where we've got to get used to ever shrinking pools of talent if we're, we're going to be successful recruiting. Um, it, it, you know, we see it with software developers and engineering talent, management and sales, where it's really hard to find good people. Um, what's been remarkable about 2021 has been, you, if you think it's bad with uh, engineering talent, wait till you see what it's like for truck drivers. <laughs> It's so absolutely uh, amazing the different places that we're seeing these, these gaps open up. And it's led to, um, we, we have customers that um, have had to increase wages monthly this year just to make, make it so they can get people to respond to their ads on Indeed. Um, it's, and that's going to be a way of life for a while for all of us. Um, it's it's not going to get easier for a few years. And, and it uh, honestly may never be a return to what we saw, you know, back in 2009, 2010, where, you know, we, we had these uh, 8%, 9% unemployment rates and, and really, um, you know, the advantage was, was all to the employer. Now, now it very much is a candidate's market and we've all got to be thinking about what we can do to make our jobs more attractive and make working for our companies more attractive uh, than, than it is. Absolutely. I think high-skilled labor in particular, they, they do have a lot more power in terms of negotiation and, and they get to be a little, a little bit more selective. So I think that talent branding is going to be super important. Having the right tools, um, that's going to be super important for recruiting. Um, so when I was looking at work here, I, I noticed, you know, you talk about geofencing and how that relates to recruiting strategy. So curious to know if you could share what geofencing means when it comes to recruiting strategy. Yeah, so um, geofencing for us has been, um, you know, it was the core of our business really before mm -hmm. before COVID hit. We were, we were really kind of known as the, the you know, geofencing recruiting company. And um, we've really moved, moved away from a lot of that largely because um, two, two things. One is um, right now in mobile advertising, um, Apple is, uh, making some changes to advertising IDs that makes it harder to target people. Uh, location being one of the things that's harder to target. Google's about to do the same thing on Android. And so what we're looking at really is um, that that media um, has become a little less effective um, than, than it used to be. So, so really a lot of our, our geofencing game, we still do a lot of it, but it's become a lot less important. Uh, and, and that's really because the bigger problem that most employers have has nothing to do with candidate flow and has everything to do with engagement. Um, most companies get more than enough applicants. The problem is they uh, take three, on average, three weeks between when somebody applies for a job and when a recruiter reaches out to the candidate. So you just got your, um, I don't know, AWS certified uh, um engineer in, in and you're going to wait until you have uh, 40 of them in and then let the hiring manager and the recruiter go through who you want to actually talk to by the time you get to that decision point all the good candidates are already gone mm -hmm. and so we, we've really been focusing on a different a different problem than just the geofencing um, it's really been more about how do we make it so 
we can uh, go, somebody just applied to that for that AWS engineer position. How do we get that engaged right now? How do we make it, the hiring process go fast enough that you've got a shot at hiring that person before, you know, either whatever it was that drove them to look for a job this morning gets fixed or uh, they, uh, you know, they, they find a job with a competitor. So a little, little different um, and, and probably not an answer you were expecting. <laughs> No, I, I love that. I do think that there's a really big shift in terms of how location is starting to matter less and less. Um, yeah, it, it, you yeah. know, the other fun part with this is watching, um, especially with knowledge workers and, and, and you know, highly skilled employees, um, that is really where the core of the whole work from home versus work in the office debate is, is really being waged. And, uh, you know, for every company I see out there that's trying to pull their people back in the office, all I can tell you is um, that may be one of the stupidest policies you could ever, ever imagine if it come, when it comes to retention. The easiest way for people to chisel people away from you, same job you have today, except work from home. Totally. I think. I mean, that you just set up to be poached if you uh, are forcing people to come back to the office. Absolutely. I think flexibility is starting to matter more and more to people, especially since a lot of them have had a taste of it. So companies that are looking to go back to the way things were, it's going to be a really big struggle from, you know, um, a talent branding and retention um, perspective. Um, but flipping it on to what job seekers should expect and how they can stand out for a role in tech. So I'm specifically talking, you know, about any listeners that are engineers or, or product managers, anyone in tech that might be looking to stand out for, you know, um, their dream company in tech, what can you share about what clients have been telling you, uh, you know, really matters to them? Yeah. So the, the challenge most employers with tech have um, is sorting out people that are actually able to do the job from people that can't. And, as, as a, I'm, I'm a software developer, you know, if you want to look at my resume, um, yeah. you know, I've been building, building software for a long time. And the hardest thing for me as, as a business owner is, is okay. finding engineering talent. Um, the reason it's hard is there's a lot of people that are in there and I'm not sure if it's because the wages are high uh, or, or what it is that makes people go, you know, I want to be, a, I, I can do the software developer job, even though they may not be able to do it. It doesn't matter what technical field it is there's an awful lot of people in there that we're just not sure about. And so um, what you can really expect as a job seeker is that you're going, um, you're going to feel like you've been processed like a piece of chicken is what you're going to feel like in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, the employers really are putting a lot more, um, a lot more testing. They're putting a lot more assessments. They're mm -hmm. putting a lot more hoops for you to jump through. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating for people because um, but, you know, we've spent a lot of time and money. Some of us have spent a lot of time building up credentials and have all these um, certifications and that kind of thing. Um, or we've been doing a job for, you know, 15, 20 years and we're, we're, yeah, I can do this job. And then we go in to go interview and they're like, okay, well, we're going to go do a whiteboard session with you and see if you actually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, know how to decompose a problem or whatever it is. You, you're going to have to be okay with some of this. And the reason for it is just the amount of people that are out there that, that um, even have held us a, a, a job title that, that says they should be qualified. Mm -hmm. There's just so many people out there that, that um, I, I don't want to necessarily accuse a lot of people of being imposters, but there's a lot of imposters out there. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I think that a lot of job titles don't don't deliver an accurate picture of scope of responsibility and what people have actually achieved. And I think another piece to that is the type of work environment, right? So different yeah. company sizes are going to have other players that will take a piece of the puzzle. So I think, you know, it also really depends if you're targeting a startup, a mid-sized company, large-sized company, and like what other players you would need. Um, like, are you really zeroed in on one technology or one piece of the puzzle? So that's another thing that I think would be really important for anyone that is listening, that's looking to get a job in tech. Um, another, another kind of segue here into predicting the future of tech talent recruiting. So I know we talked a little bit about how we're moving away from looking at, you know, lo location specific talent. We're moving away from, you know, simple processes and, you know, we're, we're developing more robust testing, robust assessments. And uh, we're also looking for a quicker way to engage with talent from the get-go. But what other predictions do you see for specifically tech talent recruiting? Yeah. So in, in among our customers, what, what we're seeing a lot of is um, pushing more of the assessment uh, process mm -hmm. earlier in the funnel. So, you know, think think less of apply, talk to somebody, and then take an assessment eventually to apply for the job, um, maybe have a quick conversation, and then go right to a, some kind of assessment really early in the process. So that that's one trend we definitely see a lot of. Uh, the other thing that we see um, are a lot of companies are starting to figure out that just hiring for experience is not the right move. Um, and, and we're starting to see a lot of companies going, how do we assess people to see what their ability to learn is? How do we figure out how to find, um, you know, instead of somebody that has, uh, you know, three years of experience with a certain framework and five years of experience with a certain database or whatever, we're, we're seeing a lot more um, companies look at how do I assess this developer to see if they really can break down a problem and they really can learn new, new skills on the fly. Because I think we're seeing a lot, um, believe it or not, uh, with AI um, moving things a little bit, we're actually in a period of time here where um, skill sets are being obsoleted faster than I think they ever have been. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, this makes it harder to hire people just based on what did you do at your last job. Mm. Um, and honestly, when you're looking at long-term, um, it's always been a great practice when you're hiring um, engineering talent to hire people based on um, what their potential is rather than what their experience is. Uh, the reason for it is two years from now, whatever experience I come in the door with is probably going to be obsolete, but the potential I have, my ability to learn, my ability to, work with my coworkers, my ability to contribute in a meaningful way to the company, that's not going to change. Yeah, I, I love that. I do think that a lot of, that a lot of engineering leaders are looking for uh, people that can, like you said, break, you know, break out a problem, uh, but really what is their learning aptitude and how do we test for that, right? So a lot of the assessments in the hoops have to do with that. Um, and I wish there was a perfect process that we could reference, but I think we're all kind of still building it, right? There's um, not one. Uh, th there's really not. And, and even if I made the perfect one for my company, it's not going to be the right one for your company because, um, well, when it comes to engineering talent, we have to interface with people. And that is different at different companies. What The way that you interface um, 
you know, if you've got a really meeting centric culture where they expect you to stand up and be able to, to, to hold a, a room of 30 people's attention to get anything done, um, that's a different skill set than, than a company where, um, you know, we, we are more regimented and the managers talk to the managers and then come back with requirements. And, and it's really uh, important as a if you're a developer looking for a job to really understand what you like and what you're good at. Mm-hmm. and pick your employer wisely rather than just going, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to this company. It's a, a you know, big name. I want to work there because it's going to be a great job. It may turn out it's a really awful fit for you and, and you're going to be miserable for 18 months and fired in 19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that makes so much sense. So really getting a sense of the team dynamics and the company cultures as we call it, but um, you know, the word culture itself, I think, you know, we talk about it so much, but being able for a company to actually define it, um, you know, it's an evolving story, but I, I really like how you broke down, you know, in terms of communication and getting things done. There's meeting heavy companies where everybody has to kind of, you know, be comfortable speaking up to get things done or else there's sort of like a chain of command in some companies and, and that's a little bit different. Um, it's so it's so important to ask you know to know, a know what you're good at and b is your 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 interview interview your employer a little bit and ask them what's important there and you know if, if it's a company where your political skills and ability to to uh, um, you know make your ideas win in a boardroom are more important than your abilities at the keyboard um, mm. you know that's a different talent and and understand what you have uh, as a developer. Uh, that that makes all the difference in the world. And the faster that you can communicate that to the people interviewing you, mm-hmm. the faster both sides can get to a decision where we go, hey, this is a good fit for our company. And then if you're being interviewed, you can go, you know, I really want to work here. This sounds like something that, you know, A, I'll like a lot and B, I'll be good at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So interviewing really is a two-way street. So it's important for any job seekers out there to be thinking about some questions that really, I would say, um, extract the information you need from employers to make a sound decision around your priorities, your deal breakers, and what really matters for you long-term, and not just looking at the short-term in terms of, oh, really cool brand to add to my resume, or uh, you know, thinking of um, the perks or some of the bells and whistles or the comp. You know, I, I know so many people that'll go after a job for compensation, and like six oh. months in or even sooner, they're like, ah, didn't make the right choice here. I'm not really happy. I'm not really challenged. So really just going back to what matters to you and and kind of, um, you know, vetting your employer, uh, I think is so important. And it is, it's underrated. And I can tell you from, from being on both sides of the table, uh, especially on the employer side, so few candidates are, are there to decide if, I'm the right employer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mostly, you know, it's really funny when you're sitting on the interviewer side of the table, what you usually see is somebody that, that is acting like they will say and do anything to get mm-hmm. a job. And um, it's really bad because there are really great people that are coming in and they've been taught all their life to do things a certain way, never show a negative, all that stuff. And um, they're trying to get the job and that's what they really want. And the, the truth is, if, if we were really doing the interview right, we would both be trying to arrive at a mutual decision of, hey, is this a good job for you? Are you going to be able to, to really, really not just do the job, but can you thrive in this position, right? 
And um, you know, on the employer side, they, we should really be asking, hey, is this person going to be able to be a contributor? Is this going to be a person that makes the people around them better? Is this going to be somebody that uh, I can I can grow the business around eventually? Is it somebody that that's going to be able to learn and handle you know new technologies as they come up? Because you know there, there's never anything new to do in software development, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a, a, a real uh, a real misunderstanding of the role of interviewing, especially that we teach people as they're looking for a job. And, you know, if you're looking for a job, your your real role in those interviews should be to figure out if that employer is a good employer for you, and if the role they have for you is one that you'll be able to do well and enjoy doing. Absolutely, and and I know that there's people out there who you know, might be a bit conscious about paying their bills and might have this urgency to just get back back into it and might, you know, feel like they have to do the job they need to do before they can do the job that they want to do. I just want to stress around that as well. Like, you know, um, give yourself a timeline um, of when you can wait and that can kind of keep yourself in check. And uh, rather than going for the first thing that comes up, still being true to yourself, being, you know, um, really cognizant of what matters to you in, in that process. Um, and I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit to, to you and your personal, you know, journey in your, in your career and thinking about a highlight. So I love to ask any of my guests that come on, what's the highlight of your career and, and why? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, um, Two, two things. So, so as I've worked for other people um, and, you know, as I've been an employee, really the, the highlight of that experience has been finding situations whenever I find something where I'm able to, to solve a problem in a way nobody else probably could have. And that's happened to me a few times. And a lot of times it's, it's, um, you know, I, I've always been able to code and I've always been able to, to, I'm one of these people I can, I can code and I can hold a boardroom. And so it's been fun to be able to go into situations where we have to sell the organization on doing something and getting that stuff done. So that's always been kind of a highlight when I'm working for someone else. Um, the whole part of, of being a founder and building companies, I've done it five times. And the, the highlight of that honestly is whenever, um, there are times you step back and realize, wow, I've got 15 families that are counting on this business and they're all paying their bills and they're all happy and they're all getting their, you know, healthcare problems, all that stuff taken care of. So you know, just, just looking at, okay, man, I'm making an impact directly on these lives. It, 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 that's probably the coolest thing. Absolutely. Five-time founder. I think that's so cool. And, and yeah, I think just being able to have that impact on people's lives and, and seeing that you're doing something good in the world is, is definitely one of the things that our careers can, can give us. And sometimes when you're in the weeds of it, it's hard to recognize that you're having that impact. So love that you're conscious of it. And um, Well, every once in a while, every once in a while, you've got to come up for air and, and look at the big picture. You've got, you know, you, you get so wrapped up, doesn't matter if you're working for somebody else or you're, you're running your own company. Mm -hmm. If you don't, stop once in a while and look around and see what the scenery looks like. And, and uh, you know, you, you're going to lose sight of why you're really doing what you're doing. There, there's, um, you know, money and growth and, and, and all that stuff is, mm -hmm. is great, but there's a, a greater purpose for most of us than just, just that, you know, the money and the, the accolades of owning a business, all that, that that's 
honestly the window dressing. And if you don't step back and look at what matters the most, um, a lot of times you get really burnt out and, and kind of lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing. I love that. Yeah, I think that just kind of ties back to knowing your why and being able to look at the bigger picture and appreciate that bigger picture that you're part of. Love it. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and I'm sure that listeners have gotten a lot of value in terms of recruiting, career insights and career growth. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Career Catharsis Show. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe for more. Check out the show notes to connect with Mike or myself and see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Career Catharsis podcast. It would mean the world to me if you shared this episode with somebody that you know to inspire someone to take the next step in their career. Send me your feedback at coach.neha.coram at gmail.com. Connect with me on Instagram at coach.neha or find me on LinkedIn. Simply type my name, Neha Koram, and you'll find me. Looking forward to connecting and see you next time.